Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Telegraph, the Telegraph. podcasts. Women's football, Euro final, England versus Germany, Wembley, sold out stadium, and then to go on and win it. It was just insane. A lot of the chatter afterwards was, I really hope it's not the ACL, I hope it's everything else. I'd worked in the Olympic and Paralympic system for a number of years. No one had ever said the word periods, no one had talked about menstrual cycles. I've totally subscribed to best person for the job, but often the best person for the job could well be female, but society isn't ready for that yet. All I'm saying is that everybody should know how to swim. I can't fathom how you can try and say that that is troublemaking or anything like that. Every time I hear somebody talk about investing in women's sport and talking about it as if it's some sort of donation (laughs) or like charity. (laughs) You're welcome. It's just such a weird way to tell me that you're bad at business. Welcome along to the Telegraph Women's Sport Podcast with me, Sam Quegg. Women's sport is on the rise across the board, but are women's voices leading the conversation and direction? We want to give a platform to the issues, challenges and the triumphs across the area to hopefully support a sustainable change in women's sport in Britain. I'll be joined by my friends who I've met in my career and some who I'm yet to meet, but all who are making a mark in this space. On this episode, we're going to focus on periods and the impact of the menstrual cycle on women in sport, from understanding our bodies better to kick concerns. I'm joined by a panel of experts to discuss these key areas. Our first guest is a physiologist, a leader in women's health in sport, focusing on the data gap in women's sport science. She was formerly head of physiology at the English Institute of Sport and has founded the Well HQ, which delivers education programs on women's health. Hello, Dr. Emma Ross. Hello, thanks for having me. No, 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 thanks for coming on. Um, Listen, you have such a wealth of experience now when it comes uh, to women's health. How important is it for women to understand their bodies and why is it so important for women in sport? So one of the reasons that I kind of started to pursue my mission to to ensure that everyone understood women's bodies better was because I'd worked in a, in the high performance system um in the Olympic and Paralympic system for a number of years and no one no one had ever said the word periods no one had talked about menstrual cycles yet we talked a lot about hormones and we talked a lot about you know using hormones to help us prime and get ready for exercise but we completely ignored the fact that across a month, women's hormones were doing a particular thing. Um, we didn't talk about sports bras and we didn't talk about pelvic floors and we didn't talk about girls and women's relationships with food and how that can be different from what we see in boys and men. And 
So I kind of raised the question, like, is do we think this is important when we're pre- preparing athletes for, you know, performance and and hopefully to be the best that they can be, to realize their potential, that we're ignoring all of these parts of being female. And and that was kind of just after 2016. And um, we kind of went on a bit of a mission to change that narrative in sport, to say, we do need to talk about these things. And this is why. And, and understanding the why is really important because it's not just a nice to do. You know, things like the menstrual cycle and the hormones of the menstrual cycle can impact so many things, not just how an athlete feels physically and emotionally. It can impact her availability. So like whether she can turn up to train um, and whether she can deliver quality training. Um, It can impact recovery. It can impact training adaptation. And if we get fueling wrong, and I know we're going to talk about this in more detail, the menstrual cycle can really give us a good indicator that our body is not coping with our training and our nutrition. So not to talk about it is such a huge missed opportunity. So I always say, you know, so many opportunities arise when we think about women's bodies in sport. Yeah, absolutely. And so many talking points, which we will delve into for sure later on in this pod. Uh, But before we do, we're going to introduce our next guest. Uh, She was the European junior 1500 metre champion and hotly tipped for higher honours as a middle distance runner. But aged 18, she was diagnosed with osteoporosis, which brought a premature end to her sporting career. Hello, Bobby Clay. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I know you've taken a day off work today, so even even more of a thank you. <laughs> I mean, it was a nice excuse to take a day off work. Not that you haven't, Emma. <laughs> um, so, Bobby, as I say, you, you've taken a day off work, but what are you up to then at the moment? Um, I am currently the behaviour leader people referral unit. Um, I'm actually changing roles to the senior mental health lead, which is really exciting. I feel like my time in sport and probably my exit from sport really pushed me in that direction because I suddenly was very much confronted with mental health being a thing. Because mm-hmm. um, prior to that, it wasn't a thing that in my head impacted me. Um, and I kind of had to go through my own journey and now I'm very much wanting to be a part of the journey of young people who maybe find mainstream school a bit challenging. Um, and, and that journey must have been full of so many ups and downs. And it was seven years ago that you did get diagnosed with osteoporosis off the back of your running career. Can you take us back to the start then? When did you realise that some, something wasn't quite right? Um, I was very aware that I was, um, I mean, I was told a lot how super lean I was and how I had a superpower. I was aware of that from a really young age. I knew something wasn't quite right when I started struggling with life. I wasn't struggling with training. I was hitting target times. I was doing above and beyond when it came to actually running. But around running, I started to really struggle with life. Um, And I realized that maybe I'm not quite normal. But at that point, running was fine. So I was fine. Mm. And when you start feeling them things, it must be a really kind of lonely place to be although you're surrounded by so many loving people but as you say you're in this role now where hopefully your experience is helping others who might potentially be going through similar type of thoughts and feelings and journeys how have you taken your experience and put it into the role that you have done that you are in now I think it's that feeling of isolation despite people being there I mean I'm working with a lot of children who don't have anyone there in the first place um and we look at the school I'm at, we look to be that person. 
And it's that pushback of I was pushing away from everyone who loved me because in my eyes, I was the one who'd messed it up and I didn't deserve the help. And I experienced that a lot with the kids I work with. They push back against me because they don't feel deserving of the help because they've never really had it. And it's that thing of I will relentlessly be there despite the fact you feel undeserving until the point I will love unconditionally until in the same way that I was until you just one day stop and say, actually, I'm hurting you more by not accepting it. Mm. And those conversations when you finally did get the opportunity to speak to people that you did love, when it came to like your health and your body, your menstrual cycle, did you find that was almost a bit of a taboo to talk about it back then? Definitely. I had never, because I'd never had a period, I'd never even needed to say the word. Mm. Um, and then when it came to there's something wrong and we, I was then put on medication and I was kind of treated a bit like a little lab rat because people were saying that they hadn't really seen much of, or at least it wasn't in the media really, of just never having a period. Period stopping in sport, unfortunately, was seen as the norm, but I just never started. Um, so to have those conversations, I can remember I was in my, I was in my second year of uni in the bathroom on YouTube um, working out how to put a tampon in. That's because crazy, isn't it? Everyone else That's had terrible. that conversation if they had it or did those things when they were 13 or so, 12, 13. I was 19 and I felt I couldn't ask anyone because, number one, no one spoke about periods and, number two, I was a 19-year-old woman. I felt pathetic. That's a, that is a, it's a, a shocking place and a sad place to be in. And um, for anyone to experience those type of feelings. And I suppose it shows how far we've come. And it doesn't, it's not even that long ago, really, because you've got, you're only 26 now. Mm. So you being 19, that we can sit and have conversations about periods and the human body. And Emma, coming over to you, why do you think times have changed, albeit in such a small amount of time, where, you know, the likes of Bobby, who is terribly having to look on YouTube for any advice? because, you know, people didn't feel quite comfortable in having those conversations. We've obviously come a very far way in such a small amount of time, but why is talking about periods even still a taboo now, but, you know, worse worse back then? Yeah, we have come a long way. And, and actually, it's thanks to voices like Bobby that we have, because um, I think for a long time in sport, women were trying so hard to get equality so they wanted the same media coverage as the men they wanted the same pay the pr same prize money um rightly so and they wanted the same access to facilities and the access to great coaching rightly so so they wanted the same and i think by bringing up things like periods or you know pelvic floors that don't work or not being able to find the right sports bra that feels like bringing like bringing a really good excuse why women shouldn't have the same because they've got this body which has got all of these issues. And actually the issues aren't with our body. The issues are with the system that didn't talk about them, that overlooked them, that dismissed them. Um, and actually, so, so they wanted to keep the female bit of them quiet because they were like, you know, we're trying to make progress here. But I think what's happened is they've re you know, everyone's realised that that is, is not conducive to getting the most out of these athletes. And whether it's Bobby sharing her story or whether it's someone like Jazz Sawyer's um, after Rio kind of coming out and saying, I get really debilitating period pain and 
I can't believe I've kind of let it affect me every month for many years. And now it's getting in the way of, of fulfilling my potential in sport. And, and I feel embarrassed that I haven't talked about it. You know, it's people realizing that if we talk about it, if we can understand our bodies kind of inside and out, then whether we're trying to like, you know, get off the couch and do a park run or whether we're trying to pursue a podium, we can get more out of our bodies if we understand it. And the only way we can understand it is to talk about it and share our experiences and share what works and what doesn't and just kind of get really comfortable with talking about women's bodies like they're normal, which they are. <laughs> it is true. I mean, what, 50% of the population has a period. And even now, I talk about my period sometimes to my husband, who is the biggest supporter of the female body, female sport. He'll be like, oh, don't talk to me about periods. So it does exist. And like you say, you have to have these conversations because we all feel comfortable talking to our mates about, you know, oh God, I'm due on and I'm feeling terrible. Outside of sport, I know I have friends who the culture used to be, I'm going on holiday next week, so I'm going to combine pill packs to stop my period. And that was something I experienced being an elite sport that, you know, we've got competition coming up in a few weeks. You might feel better if you're not on your period. How about we manipulate pill packs, these type of conversations? And Bobby, you said that some of the athletes were having these conversations. Is that right? Is there anything you experienced when you were competing because you said you didn't have any periods? Yeah, so I was aware that a lot of athletes had lost their periods. Mm-hmm. And I was also aware a lot of athletes had been put on a on the contraceptive pill from a really young age and didn't actually know whether they would have had a period or not. They just, when they were meant to take a break, they were just advised not to mm. because otherwise they could get their period. So for a long time, I was very aware that if one of the girls I was running with did have periods, she was usually on the contraceptive pill. Mm. And if you asked her when we put on it, it was like 14 and they hadn't taken a break. And it's then we crazy, were 18, 19 years old. It's crazy. So from hockey to athletics and uh, even rowing, I think it was only recently that a GB rower gave evidence uh, at a recent women's equality hearing saying that, she, that it was normal for female rowers in the setup not to have periods. Again, there must have been something behind this scientifically, Emma, for people and athletes to be advised to do this. Can you give a little bit of the science behind why an athlete might decide to miss a period if they could? Well, I think this goes back to the fact that we we have very little research on women's bodies. And so all of the people who were support who are supporting these athletes, you know, who are supporting Bobby in her career, um, who are supporting those rowers, they are working off best practice that's probably been designed on what we might call the default male. So research that has been done on male athletes and then just kind of presumed that it would be applicable to women. And of course, that won't include things like menstrual cycles and periods. And so we didn't know enough and we and we absolutely do now. But um, Bobby's right. Um, um, you know, you don't have to look far, very far back to to see a time when it was considered normal for athletes to lose their periods when they were training really hard. And actually, some athletes saw it as a badge of honor. They're like, yes, I'm training so hard and I'm so light that I've lost my periods. And so it was, you know, it was a very positive thing. As you say, some people being put on the pill even before they'd started their periods or because their periods had stopped and they were just put on the pill as kind of like a sticking plaster. And these now we know are all really, really bad practices because fundamentally our period arrives because it's saying that our body is healthy. So our period is a vital sign of health. And 
it absolutely should be celebrated. Now, I know, you know, there are women and girls all over the place going, oh, God, Emma, don't try and tell me I'm meant to be jumping for joy that I have a period. But the fact that we have a period is a sign that our body is really healthy. And the reason we don't have periods or like Bobby, we don't start our periods during puberty is a sign that something's going wrong. And in, in active women, in athletes, it can often be because we're not fueling well enough. And there's this kind of mantra, particularly in sports like athletics, where lighter is faster. And so the girls get sort of indoctrinated with, I need to be lean, I need to be light, and that's amazing. But that's not an infinite game. Like you can be lighter and faster and lighter and faster, and then you're so light that your body is broken. And we don't want athletes to get to that point. And the reason our periods stop or they don't start in the first place um, in the female body is because when we're not putting enough energy into our body, you know, it's hardwired for survival. So it's thinking, oh gosh, how can I survive this period of really low energy? I'm not getting enough energy in given how much I expend each day. So in a female body, the thing that the body can do to save energy is switch off our reproductive cycle because it can't switch off our heart or our lungs or our immune function because we just keel over. But it can shut down a reproductive cycle. And from the outside, no one would know any different. And the body can save loads of energy because it doesn't have to produce hormones, you don't have to have periods, and you certainly don't have to risk growing a baby. So it's kind of a really good safety mechanism for the body. But the trouble is that that cycle isn't just about making babies. It's also about producing hormones that help us grow and develop. And so estrogen and progesterone, which are the two main hormones of the menstrual cycle, are absolutely vital for bone health. So helping us grow strong bones, particularly when we're in our teens and our 20s, those uh, hormones are responsible for brain health. So they are really linked with um, mood and mental health. They're responsible for immune function, cardiovascular health, gut health. So you can see they play a huge role across our whole body in keeping us really healthy. So if we're not fueling well enough in sport, we're not eating enough to meet the demands of our training and our body switches off that reproductive cycle, it also switches off the hormones that are so important for our health and well-being. And then the consequences, you know, are are what Bobby can explain happened, happened to her. And so we considered it normal. Then we found out that it wasn't normal. But as you can imagine in sport, these myths perpetuate and people are being coached by the people who that was normal for. And so even young athletes now aren't being given that clear message. So we do really need to unpick this and kind of re-educate the whole system about, about how vital a healthy menstrual cycle is. There must be so many facets to understanding and these conversations and the work that you're doing um, or alongside your team is just so crucial in making sure that there is a greater understanding when it comes to elite sport, especially. Um, Bobby, you were, you know, you were diagnosed with reds as well. Can you tell us what is it and how it was different to the osteoporosis diagnosis that you got? So the reds diagnosis was about my actual energy availability. Um, so pretty much I wasn't, I didn't put in enough energy for the output that I was putting out, um, which I suppose had a lot of very immediate effects compared to my bones. So my bones, we just realized through a scan, but they were a very steady decline. Whereas the actual red symptoms were coming up daily. That was the me passing out on the school bus. That was me not really wanting to celebrate Christmas with my family. That was me being 
so emotional that I actually wasn't emotional anymore. I spent years upon years just assuming that I just didn't know how to cry anymore. But I just don't know whether it was because I was very numb because any bit of energy actually I put in my body, I was asking my body to put out on the running track. Um, And I suppose those symptoms were more obvious to those close. But I would always, whether it was in a reserve or in kind of fight or flight mode, have the energy to, the second I stepped out onto a track, I was the me that I wanted to be because I had to be. And then the second I stepped off, I was tired. I was emotional. I was not the person, I suppose, that I'd been all the way up until things started to go a bit wrong. Mm. Red stands for relative energy deficiency in sports, something which you touched upon the impact of hormones as well, Emma. When you do come across um, someone who is suffering from reds, is there any thing that you can look out for? Because as Bobby's described, that lack of energy and all these different things that she was feeling, um, is it as easy as saying, you know, this is what I'm suffering from to put your finger on and say actually it is reds? Yeah, so I think the, trouble, the, the difficult thing about REDS um, is that there is no one test for it. So you can't say, oh, I think you have REDS, let's do a test because um, it affects so many bodily systems that there will be different symptoms in different people. But it has, you know, a sort of single cause. Uh, and Bobby has explained that, you know, she wasn't eating, putting enough energy in her body to meet all of the energy she was expending with training and being just like, a, a you know, a, a normal human being. And usually when we find athletes in reds, they have either stopped periods, they haven't got a period, haven't started it, or they their cycles changed in some way. So it's become more irregular or the symptoms have got worse. But not everyone will have those what we call menstrual disturbances. And we do have to look for other signs and symptoms. So um, it can be low mood. It can be gastrointestinal upset. So lots of girls with reds will have GI issues. It can be, you know, emotional fragility. Uh, it can be underperformance. So just really not having the energy to perform at all. Or it could be um, someone who's not growing and developing in a way you would expect. Or they're not adapting to training. So, you know, you're training really hard, but you don't seem to be getting fitter or stronger. So there are other signs and symptoms. And, th- and the thing you can do is really put, um, you know, magnifying glass on what you're eating, the timing of your eating. Um, and how much you're expending. So we know that it's not just about the amount of calories that you eat that can impact uh, and cause reds. It's also the timing. So when we're being active, our body, particularly our female body, needs to know it's got energy. So fasting, for example, isn't a great idea for the female physiology because our body needs to know energy is available and being fasted, so not having eaten, means our body goes into this kind of, you know, oh gosh, I haven't got enough energy so the timing of your energy intake is also really important and making sure you're eating enough carbohydrates because carbohydrates are a really important fuel for being active. And in a female body, our brain is very sensitive to them. Again, it's looking for energy. So um, we need to make sure we have enough carbs in our diet. But often it's not as easy as saying, are you eating enough compared to how much you're training and being active? Because The reason women control what they eat, restrict what they eat, exclude whole food groups or want to manage, you know, how much they're they're eating is a very complex relationship with food that's linked to, you know, standards of beauty that are imposed on us, what we're seeing online, 
or our ambitions as an athlete to be lighter and faster. And so it's not as simple as going, oh, okay, I didn't realize I was eating not enough. I'll eat more. We have to work with those women to say, you know, you need probably dietary help, but you might also need counseling or psychology help um, to really understand your relationship with food and, and help it and improve it. It's so true, isn't it? The whole cultural thing, aside from elite sport. I mean, like you say, the, the role that carbohydrates play in our in our overall health and well-being and in, in, the, in our diet is huge. I mean, just listening to you there, Ryan, I, I kind of knew, but when you talk about it being the key component, you don't really think and, you know, you have all these diets and slabs. They don't eat carbs, no carbs before mobs. It can be quite like toxic and we can sit here and laugh, but you are so right. It's such a cultural thing for women especially. And I know I've definitely been in setups in the elite side of things where even when athletes know it's so important to fuel for the next day, the next weeks of competition, there's still that reluctance to have as many carbohydrates as we need. Bobby, from your point of view, how, how are you now after your diagnosis with REDS? How do you feel it changed your life and tell us more about that journey of how you had to change how you went about things and was it easy was it hard I think it was almost like a retraining of everything I believed I was as a person so it was almost I had to go through a full-on identity crisis where I really did reach a low that I never thought I would to realize that I was more than the sport that I couldn't do anymore and did you have help and support to help you get there? I refused a lot because I was very much in denial. Then I went through a stage of, I'm going to do it on my own because I did this to myself. So I don't deserve anyone putting energy into me when I went out of my way to create the problem that I was at that point in time. And I think it was just like a very gradual, like I say, like unconditional love from my parents, my sister, my brother. Being at uni was quite tricky mm. as well because I, I went to Loughborough University. It was It is an amazing place. Um, it's a really tricky place when everything around you is a reminder of what you can't do. So I went into a bit of a cross-training frenzy, very secret cross-training as well um, because obviously I was meant to be refueling my body and slowing down a bit and letting my body catch up so I couldn't run I couldn't run because I was constantly broken um physically but then I turned rehab while well, I say rehab in inverted commas rehab into training right um no one needs to do hamstring ex exercise in the gym for three hours straight like that's insane but that's kind of where I was at mentally and it took me a lot of physical breaks to realize that I had to stop. So how did you get to the point where you where you are now and um I got to a point where I was I broke numerous bones doing very normal sedentary things and that was when I had to almost take a check on myself and say if you can't stand up off a chair without snapping a bone there is no chance in hell you're running. So it was then that sudden realisation of, oh, this isn't about running anymore. This is about life. Um, and I was really hurting a lot of people. Not on purpose, just because people cared and I didn't. Mm. So then it was almost like I hit a breaking point and then I just turned around and said, I need help. Um, 
And then I just slowly started re- rebuilding who I was outside of running. I've always loved so many things. Like I'm a, I'm a real lover. Like if I love something, I love it really hard. So I love horse riding and I could do that. Mm-hmm. And it was just realizing what I could do, which might not be running, but I could do that. I could, I'm not, I'm going to come across as the right way though. I've had goats my whole life. I love my goats and they, they are quite slow. My boys are quite slow nowadays. They're quite slow creatures who are very unforgiving. And it was almost like I ne- not neglected them. My mum very much did them while I was at uni, but it was like, actually, I can come home from university and literally just sunbathe with my goats for a bit. Goat therapy. Like, I love that it. sounds gorgeous. <laughs> it was, and it was just finding those things I could do and then piecing together of, actually, I'm so many things in life. I'm not just running. Mm-hmm. And then... I, during lockdown, I really needed just to have some work and I'm not very good at not being in person. Um, and I started working at the school that I'm at because it was actually open for that whole of lockdown because they're vulnerable children. Um, so I just started working as a TA and I think my, um, we can call it passion, but I think it's probably my addictive personality <laughs> just threw myself into work. And I loved the place and I loved the way I felt that I was suddenly giving what back. I felt like I was giving something back that I had very much taken from people who love me. Slowly but surely, I started to put one foot in front of the other again and I've actually, I can actually do a bit of running, which is nice. Amazing. But I don't wear a watch. I just tie up my trainers and go. And then it's ended in last week, I did an ultramarathon. <laughs> um Oh my God, I wish I could literally just chuck on a pair of trainers and just crack on with an ultramarathon. But I never, I, I never thought, are you okay after it? How did you feel after it? I was very, um, I'm actually very touch with, very okay. Um, I was very strict with myself. My dad was fuming when he found out I was going to do it because they're so protective because they don't, my body doesn't trust me and they don't trust me when it comes to that. And I was just like, look, you need to, I'm ready I know I'm ready. You need to trust me. And I promised everyone if I had any menstrual disturbances whatsoever, done. I'm not doing it. I had a natural period every month leading up to it. I've actually just come off my period. So it hasn't even pushed Mm. this period back from doing it. Um, I don't track my weight at all, which is for me. It could have been a probably useful control, but I don't track my weight because I'm not ready. I literally trotted round across the line and burst into tears that, I was like I never thought I'd do this well it, it's so good to hear like you say the, that journey just giving a snippet of what you've been through um, both mentally and physically it's fantastic to hear that you are at a point where you are self-aware of your menstrual cycle being able to know like where the line is I think one of the issues here that we have with sport is that this is a duty of care issue right so um, Bobby has had to kind of piece this together herself and with her, the support and love of her family. And by the way, Bobby, when you say, you know, like you're giving back in your school, I go into schools most weeks and I tell your story. So you're giving back just by the fact that you have shared your story with the world. Um, because I can guarantee that in that audience of, you know, maybe 300 schoolgirls or aspiring, you know, sports stars, there are some who are listening going, okay, this is not good. 
So you continue to kind of impact the lives of, of young women everywhere just because you have been brave enough to share your story and, and allow others to do that. So thank you for that. Um, but I think when we when we think about things like red, we have to try and get sports to um, be accountable. So instead of Bobby saying, oh, I didn't start my periods and then, you know, like no one was really kind of that bothered for me or they're putting my teammates on the pill before they started their periods or whatever it is. How about sports says, like girls have to have periods unless unless obviously you're pregnant or you're on the pill for for you know a valid reason and if you've got athletes who have gone three months without a period then as a sport you need to look after them and get their menstrual cycle back this it's no different from something like concussion if we left concussion up to the athletes of course they would run back on a pitch because it's their life it's their world it's their love it's their ambition so sport has created policies around concussion, which says, no, no, it's not healthy for you to run back on the pitch. Then we surround you with support and we return you to play safely. What about if we, you know, do that for female athletes and we say things like, if you've got reds, we we are going to look after you. And we know that you would just go out and train, you know, 60 hours a week or whatever it is anyway, but we're going to look after you and we're going to return you to sport in a really safe way so that you don't have the rest of your life impacted as you know as as Bobby's um was and the fact that she's now running ultra is just incredible and shows how hard she's worked to get back not just to health but you know to be able to do extraordinary things again but we don't want young athletes walking around with osteoporosis so sport and it's not just that it's the mental health issues that go with it it's the um you know all of the other issues that come with reds and the fact now we know enough to say Sport needs to step up and be accountable. And when I say sport, I mean the system of sport and the national governing bodies and, you know, right to the top to say, let's create supportive systems and policies to make sure that whoever is in sport, that we're taking really good care of them. I completely agree. Um, because I think more and more now th that information is available. I think, well, even in 2016, prior to Rio, we were logging what was day one of our periods. And it was very much used for the performance-based side of things. So at what part of our cycle we were in, what type of training, how could we adjust it? But I guess I've never even thought of actually, how, would they ever flag up that we'd missed, you know, three or four periods in a, in a row? That's really fascinating. From that performance side, Emma, what what ways are what ways are teams or athletes or even support staff using the menstrual cycle? to enhance performance in a very safe and natural way. Um, because in the cycle, you know, there's peaks of testosterone, there's points when, you know, people talk about there being more of a risk of injury, things like that. Can you give us a little bit of a picture how the menstrual cycle could be manipulated, manipulated but in a safe way to our training program? Yeah, so I think we do know more about the menstrual cycle and the hormones of the menstrual cycle now than we ever have done. And that has given us some really exciting opportunities in sport. So like you said, um, we are starting to understand more about the menstrual cycle and injury, for example. So we know a little bit. We don't know a lot. We know that the menstrual cycle and the time of the cycle is probably important somewhere in the in the big puzzle of injury because injury is never down to just one thing. And and whenever athletes are injured, they're always like, oh, tell me like it's my cycle because they want one thing to blame and one thing to kind of fix, you know, say, oh, well, I just won't play a game on that day. And it's never that simple. It's never going to be as simple as, oh, it, you know, it's the time of your cycle. But the time of your cycle might be a risk factor. And if it 
you know, bumps up against other risk factors, then it could it could be implicated in, in kind of injury. But we don't know enough about it. And, and you, again, we need to do more research. But the, the hormone estrogen, um, as it peaks, can affect joint laxity. So that means the looseness of our joint. And physios have done some research about the fact that joints can become one-ish millimetres more lax or loose. Now, that doesn't sound a lot, but it might contribute to like a joint being less stable and less stable joint is probably a more a joint under more risk of, of injury but we also know that the hormones of the menstrual cycle influence how we behave so you know like whether we want to take risks or whether we want to be really up for sport and and is that implicated in our patterns of exercise and play and does that play into injury so we don't know enough but we certainly need to understand more what we don't want people to do is rush out and not train at certain times of their cycle because we also have really great evidence that being fit and being active is really good for menstrual cycle symptoms. So um, it's always a good idea to, to be moving your body. There's some evidence that um, you recover better in that kind of second week of your cycle when estrogen is high. You've mentioned testosterone. Testosterone has been linked to better motivation to train and um, you know feeling really, really up for doing exercise. So where I've seen it done well is coaches or practitioners understanding the cycle experience of their athletes and the and the girls experiencing it themselves, you know, saying, oh, what does my cycle feel like? You know, when do I feel great? When don't I feel great? And then working with that. So not kind of saying everyone in this week, you're going to do this or everyone on when you're on your period, you're not going to do that. It's working with individuals and saying, oh, if you get really bad period pain, how can we reduce your period pain so that you can show up and do some quality training? And like, what can I do to help you with that? And what strategies can we try? Or if I'm someone who feels really great in the second week of my cycle, you know, can I do some extra training? Can I do some extra reps knowing that the physiology of my cycle is probably on my side, given that it might help me recover or adapt to training? So there's no universal blueprint for what athletes have to do on any given day of their cycle. But we do know enough to say, actually, if you understand your experience of your cycle, and if you're surrounded by people who are also supporting you, your personal trainer or your coach, and they can understand that too, then gosh, that's exciting because you could work together to really capitalize on that information. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even from a non-elite sport inside of things, like now for me, whenever I get a chance to get out there amongst having a one-year-old and a two-year-old now, just knowing why you're feeling a certain way, I guess, there's probably a reason behind that with your cycle. And um, for you, Bobby, now you're kind of, you know, doing your ultra marathons safely uh, and in a, in a great way. Do you think, you know, having this type of knowledge and, you know, this amazing information that is being found out about periods and about the cycle, do you think had you had that knowledge prior to now, it would help you? be in a better place to understand your body and training? I think for personal reasons, of course, I like knowing things. And when I know things, I do something with it. Yeah. But I think we have actually got a lot of information now in comparison. Mm -hmm. Sure, nothing on the degree of the studies in men's sport, but we do actually have a lot of information and we do actually have a lot of knowledge practically things aren't changing as quickly as we're gaining knowledge at all and I know that's normal there's tick box exercises sure say it there's a governing body for a sport we're going to deliver a workshop to our female athletes we're going to give them the knowledge but we're not actually then going to cradle them and support them to actually do something with that knowledge 
they've got to take personal responsibility. Now, I think athletes should take personal responsibility, but if you're a 14, 15-year-old girl, there is a duty of care, like Emma said. So let's not make it a tick box exercise and say, okay, well, we've given them the knowledge tick, cool, we've done the risk of reds and we've done the importance of the menstrual cycle in one workshop over a camp. Because ultimately, on that camp, those girls actually just want to go training in the evening. So they're just sat in this lecture hall and it's sort of falling on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. That actual cradling around it, making tracking your period personally almost cool, it is your superpower. I love tracking my period now because I actually love like listing my symptoms. It's almost like something I can tick off a to-do list. Like, oh, yep, done that today. I really push with my kids at school who most of them don't play any sport. But if I had the information that I have now, things I think might have been a bit different, providing I was cradled at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's the issue at the moment. Yeah. I think anything around the the female body and female health can definitely be researched more, supported more and making sure those things are in place. So that actually, if anybody does need that support, it's there. Yeah. Um, For women and girls, Emma, who are taking part in sports, what advice would you give to them in understanding their menstrual cycle? Well, I think Bobby's made a really great point. You know, tracking is a really great start. I think we probably, say most people, most women would track their cycle maybe to know sort of when the next period is going to arrive. So it doesn't kind of show up unexpectedly. Although I've always flabbergasted about how many people don't do anything. So they're like, oh, I think it's going to, you know, like be next weekend. So tracking your cycle will help, you know, A, you predict that where you're, when your next period is going to come. It will help you notice any symptoms and notice which happen consistently each month. And I always used to say to the athletes that I worked with, is there any day of your cycle that you'd quite happily get rid of as in like how you're feeling and how it impacts your training or, you know, your relationships or your mood or whatever? And they were always like, yeah, you know, this is one day I feel really lethargic and this other day where I'm just so emotionally fragile. And I'm like, and you're, and you're basically just accepting that each month. So um, my advice would be if there are, if when you start tracking your cycle, there are days you think this doesn't feel great, like have a think about, and it will take some research because we're not taught this stuff in schools. Um, have a think about what you might be able to do about it. I mean, one of the reasons we've got a book we published recently called The Female Body Bible. And one of the reasons we wrote it was because this information isn't readily available to girls and women. Because if I say, oh, well, you know, you should really be doing things to minimize your symptoms because they shouldn't be getting in your way. And girls are like, where do I, who's teaching me this stuff? So that's partly why we wrote the book to help uh, women navigate their bodies better. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm just going to, it's it's a brilliant book. Uh, it's called The oh, Female Body Bible. And it's with you, Baz Moffat, and Dr. Bella Smith, isn't it? And it quite simply says, a revolution in women's health and fitness. Yeah. Yet to read it fully, but I know a lot of people who have read it and said it's an, an epic and so eye-opening. And considering that they are female, they didn't know, you know, a quarter of what was in that book. So I do have to say, if, it is, if you're listening to this pod, it is worth a, a, a read, for sure. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, it, it's, just, it's just everything that we wish... We had known, um, and I, you know, I was always a um, aspiring recreational athlete, so doing marathons and doing, you know, triathlons. Uh, through to Baz, who was a GB rower, you know, across all of our experiences in sport, things we wish we'd known about our bodies, so that we we could realise our full potential, and those things weren't holding us back. And it's you know, from periods to sports bras to pelvic floors to nutrition. 
you know, all of those things are important to understand from a female perspective. I completely agree, by the way, about tracking your period. It wasn't until I decided I I tried to start getting pregnant that I had a greater understanding of the menstrual cycle. And my mind was blown about how you do change physically and mentally. And it's not until you start writing it down and tracking, you realize the impact it does have on, you know, daily life, let alone your sporting performance. You can have little hacks as well. Like I know the days where I might have, like, I have patterns of headaches and stuff. And I know the days where actually, like, I really need to think about hydrating. I mean, I should think about hydrating every day. But if I know that I typically will get a headache at this sort of this point in my cycle, I'm like, I really need to make sure I'm carrying a bottle around with me. I will also have Nurofen in my bag. Little tiny things like that, like tiny hacks, which just make your life easier existing as a woman. Before I attract my cycle, I was just going on a whim, like doing on a prayer. Yeah, and I think, um, Sam, you mentioned, you know, you only started really understanding your cycle when you want to get pregnant. That is so common. Women only understand their cycle when they want to kind of use it for fertility. And that's great to do that. But why, you know, why are we waiting? Why aren't we teaching our girls from as soon as their periods start? Now, periods are a little bit irregular and all over the place at the beginning when you when you first start because that's your body just getting used to and getting in the rhythm of your cycle. But there's no reason why you can't start tracking it because, you know, one of the most stressful things for girls when you start your periods, and that's a big deal. You have to try and manage them and learn. Like what we say, you have to learn how to use tampons. Um, you have to try and do sport whilst you're on your period. And oh, it's all a lot going on. Actually, if you can get girls to start tracking their cycle, they can start anticipating when it's going to arrive. So making sure they're remembering their period products or like Bobby said, making sure they've got what they need, a heat pack or something, if it's a day where they might be in pain and start really taking control. And that's a that's a brilliant feeling if you're like taking control of your cycle rather than letting it take control of you. So we definitely need to be encouraging tracking and and I call it cycle resilience so it's not just tracking your cycle but it's tracking your cycle and doing something about the bits of it that you know are getting in the way um if we can do that then we set girls up for a lifelong kind of of body literacy understanding your body and and we need that when we're trying to get pregnant we need it when we're going through menopause you know we need it when we're trying to understand why and how we feel so yeah we need to get get our girls body literate at a much younger age I think yeah, absolutely. And a great message to go forward with. Um, unfortunately, we've run out of time and we've probably even only even scratched the surface when it comes to menstrual, menstrual cycles. Um, I've said it enough times in my life and I still can't get it right. Um, thank you both uh, for your time and coming on this pod. It really has been a fantastic 45 minutes or so. And let's do it again, hopefully in the future. You've been listening to the Telegraph Women's Sport Podcast with me, Sam Quirk. The producer is Shira Kilgallen and the executive producers are Louisa Wells and Sarah Mockford. For more women's sport content from The Telegraph, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash women's dash sport. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 